for a single soul. Reaching a further and stepping in closer. Good everyone and welcome to today's Living Life. In the Bible, there are many passages uh, that can easily be regarded as very difficult, maybe even problematic. And, you know, and these can be easily misconstrued, misunderstood, uh, to the point of being twisted, uh, easily twisted and then abused. And people use it to you know, defend and just you know, talk about anything and any position they want to. Now, this is where commentaries definitely would help, although I know they are not the most accessible resource to everyone. Um, and not just one, because some of them are available online. If you just trust one, if that is not trustworthy, then you're in trouble, right? So a couple here would help you to get that balanced view and just to get the cross-examination and confirmation. And then prayerfully, for the purpose of encouraging, admonishing, and teaching, we want to in, uh, educate ourselves so that we can humbly, humbly come to a working conclusion and position with an open mind. Open mind as in, we still could be wrong, right? And could be proven wrong with other evidence or ideas. And then we can also test this by discussing with others. And then, you know, in their cross-examination, this, you know, questioning and then our counter-questioning, all that kind of stuff, you can kind of really test your understanding of the situation and of uh, the, the passage as well. Now, today's passage is one of these passages for me. I've actually discussed this at length um, with some people. Um, yeah, and it's, it's actually quite interesting and fun. And so Jesus' cleansing of the temple, what does it mean? And what does God want to tell me today through this passage? Let's read the passage and then we'll continue. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 22. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So every gospel book has this story of the cleansing of the temple. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke seem to be in agreement on most details, and they have it, uh, in a sense, the most importantly, in the same place in terms of the chrono chronological order of Jesus' ministry. Now, the book of John has a similar incident at the very beginning, in the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. And because of this, a lot of people regard the incident in John's book as a separate incident, that Jesus did the cleansing of the temple thing two times, once in the beginning and once towards the end. And interestingly, in my time doing Living Life devotionals in the last couple of years, I've actually covered three out of the four passages of the, the temple cleansing, very interestingly. I've covered the one in the first, uh, first time in John, and then Mark just last year, and then now the one in Matthew. I just have to do the one in uh, Luke, and I would have uh, the complete set. <clears throat> now, very briefly, my belief um, is that Jesus only did this one time, right? And, and that is at the end, you know, when he came to Jerusalem before he was crucified. Now, the Gospel of John is widely recognized and known to not emphasize chronological order because John writes not as kind of like a accounting of what happened, but he has a very specific purpose and he lists that at the end of the book of John and that is to help people recognize and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save, who came to bring salvation to the world. And so John actually writes according to themes, right? That's why he only wrote about seven miracles, the, called the seven signs of Jesus um, in his book, and they are thematically organized in that way. So I could very easily think, and some others do as well, that John wrote about the temple cleansing incident in the beginning according to the certain purpose and theme that he was wanting to communicate. Now, what Jesus was doing in the temple was acting out the repentance that people needed to do in order to receive salvation through the Messiah. The temple was at the heart of the Israelites' worship, and Jesus was staking his claim and his judgment on that temple. The temple at the center of worship had become a shrine instead, right? Even an idol that had replaced God. People had turned the house of worship into something else. Their worship therefore had become something else. And even the incident with the, uh, with the fig tree is an extension of this acted principle in the temple, right? A fruit tree is not a fruit tree if it is not bearing fruit, right? Faith is not faith if it is, not, if it is anchored on a thing like this mountain, quote unquote, that Jesus talks about in verse 21. It's not just you can move any mountain. He actually says, if you can, this mountain. And I think, as do some other uh, commentators, he was regard talking about the literal mountain that they were standing on, that where the temple was, which is Mount Zion, right? So it is not about the Mount Zion, where you are, the temple that is important, but it is your faith in Christ, your faith in the Son of God. 
And, you know, kind of unorthodoxly, I want to read to you a testimony. So I'm just not reading a quote, but I'm kind of going to read a chunk. I hope this is okay. Um, but I want to read to you the testimony of a very well-known worship leader and songwriter. Many of you might be able to guess who it is straight away. But this is like a parallel. It's basically a real-life example, a current example of what Jesus was doing. Let me read. It says, a few years back at our church, we realized some of the things that we thought were helping us in our worship were actually hindering us. And basically to summarize, they felt that their focus on music, their focus on the worship, the band, the sound, you know, before it was with the heart of, you know, giving our excellence and utmost to God, but it was actually becoming a distraction. And so uh, the pastor, the pastor of the church decided to strip away everything to get rid of the praise band. And so they started to lead worship acoustically, no amplification, no fancy band, just one worship leader with an acoustic guitar and the whole church just singing along to that, right? And continuing, the new approach was simple. We weren't going to lean so hard on those outward things anymore. Mike, the pastor, would say, when you come through the doors of the church on Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? What are you going to sacrifice today? If I'm honest, at first, I was pretty offended by the whole thing. The worship was my job, because he was a worship leader. But as God softened my heart, I started to see his wisdom all over these actions. At first, the meetings were a bit awkward. There were long periods of silence, and there wasn't much singing going on. But soon we began to learn how to bring heart offerings to God without any external trappings we'd grown used to. Stripping away everything, we slowly started to rediscover the heart of worship. After a while, the worship band and the sound system reappeared, but now it was different. The songs of our hearts had caught up with the songs of our lips. Out of this season, I reflected on where we had come as a church and wrote this song when the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. So you now know that the worship leader that I was reading, um, quoting, is Matt Redman, the writer of The Heart of Worship, right? Longing just to bring something that, that's of worth that will bless your heart. And the chorus is very powerful. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, all about you. This is exactly what Jesus was trying to bring the Israelites back to, the heart of worship. So the question is, what else have we made our worship into? Now, in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, and you know, I think around today or this week is almost exactly the one-year mark of when the first, you know, lockdown started and the, the real panic began. It has been almost exactly a year, and a lot of people are confused. They're confused even about worship, right? Worship or not, at church or not offline or online, with or without mask. And I think we may have lost our heart of worship in the middle of all of this. And inadvertently, we have made it into something else. And Jesus is telling us it's time to come back. It's time to rediscover and come back to the heart of worship 
And the question that I threw out before, what else could we have turned our worship into? Possibly a dating site or app, a fashion show, business or trade convention, a town fair, a concert, mall, a lecture, motiva um, you know, motivational speech. This could all be our reality of worship instead of true worship. And that is why Jesus needs to do some table turning and driving out in our hearts so that we can return back to the heart of worship. And so wherever you may be, however confused you may have been, think about where your worship is, where your worship has been, and let us all come back to the heart of worship to put our focus back on Christ and just worship Him as the audience of one. Amen? Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for your protection, O oh Lord. And we want to ask of your continued protection over our lives so that we may continue to be your channels of blessing, O oh God. And Lord, we thank you today for this um, amazing and powerful reminder, Lord, of the state of our hearts and the need for repentance, the need uh, to reconsider and a reformation of our hearts, of our worship, O oh Lord. The past 12 months have been a very tumultuous time, and I pray that this will not affect our worship. But I do know uh, that there are many who are confused, who have left the church, who have uh, been kind of estranged from the church as well and our faith and our relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would regather us by your loving hand into your bosom, O God, into your arms, that we may return to your worship, to the worship of you, uh, placing our faith in you, the Messiah, the Christ, who has come to save us. So all of these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. For a single soul, reaching a further and stepping in closer.